Thank you for listening to Taken by the Sea by John Rosetta. This is the adventure of William Harris, a true story of a journey across the globe by one of the founding fathers of the world's smallest republic. We are proud to present this podcast to you, and we hope you'll follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Please rate us on your podcast platform of choice if you enjoy these episodes. And now we begin with Chapter 2, In Suspense, Part 2. The carriage ride into London took most of the daylight hours, on that frigid November day. When I arrived at the fleet's Hammersmith townhouse, most of the other guests had already arrived. The residence could never be considered grand, but its location and view of the Thames had made it a frequent port of call for Marcus and I over the years. With all of the windows on the far side of the house open, most of the guests remained dressed in their heaviest coats and frocks. The gentlemen, including myself, had opted to wear both a dinner jacket and an overcoat. The women who were brave enough to venture beyond the warmth of the fireplace wore dresses and outfits more suited to a hunting weekend in the country than an evening in central London. I greeted a few friendly faces on my way up to the top floor, where I found Marcus and Henry already well on their way to inebriation. The great William Harris has graced us with his presence, Henry mockingly announced. Thank you for forcing me to come, I uttered as we shook hands. No one forced you. Marcus clarified. I'm guilty of a light version of emotional blackmail and nothing more. I smiled at him as I was handed a hot glass of mulled wine. We're so glad you're here, my boy. How are you holding up? They had known my father their whole lives, even longer than I'd known him. It was still hard in those moments to face those questions, even when I knew it came from a place of admiration. It's been hard on my mother and I, to be sure, I admitted. I'm doing my best to feel a bit better each day. Distractions such as these have been most welcome. Well, if you're looking for distractions, you've come to the right place. Plenty to choose from. Henry said before excusing himself. Marcus and I laughed, and then made our way through the party. While there were plenty of distractions, as promised, however, the one distraction I was looking forward to the most was nowhere to be found. I wouldn't give Marcus the satisfaction of asking if he had seen Mary. He wasn't so cruel as to withhold that information to me if he had. It was a lovely event, but I couldn't help but feel a bit disappointed as the night wore on. It was nearly time for the fireworks display over the Houses of Parliament in the distance. I and others gathered on the balconies towards the back of the great room, with eager anticipation. Guy Fawkes would have been honoured and a bit confused by the celebration of his failed treason two hundred years before. As the colourful fireworks began to explode they illuminated the dreary London skyline and reflected off the Thames below. Gasps and cheers echoed through the cold air from all over the city. I'm sure a few of those cheers came from me, as it was quite the display. It was in a moment towards the final third of the explosions that my eyes drifted down to the crowded balcony adjacent to my own. She stood there in a red dress with a black cloak staring straight at me, paying no mind to the spectacle before her. Colours, constantly changing, fading and reappearing, illuminated the side of her beautiful face. I remember thinking how the celebration in the cold night sky simply could not compare to her. I made my way through the onlookers as the show entered into its final stages. She clearly had the same idea as we met halfway and proceeded to a quiet corner of the room. Hello, William, was all she could say at first. Miss Dobson, I tried to conceal my excitement, though probably in vain. You look radiant tonight. Radiant? Do you really think so? 
I've never rated above spectacular before. She smiled. Perhaps you should be a writer like my friend, Lord Byron. Perhaps I should. I might be looking for a new line of work soon. I knew she was prodding me, and I immediately regretted giving her an answer that was too serious. All the same, at the time she seemed to overlook it. I was very sorry to hear about your father. He was a great man. I can only hope to live up to him. From what I hear, you are more than capable of being a great man yourself, she said. We talked for what seemed like only minutes, but it was in fact hours. The crowd around us became no more than a distraction as we spoke about everything and nothing. I was at a loss for words on more than a few occasions, perhaps more an admission of awe rather than a lack of wit. At some ungodly hour, Marcus made it clear to us it was time for us to leave. I barely saw you tonight, Will, he said as he walked us to the door. Nice to see that smile back on your face. I couldn't have removed that smile if I wanted to. I had promised to escort her to the house of a family friend, where she was staying. It was a safe area of London, but at that time of night, it was anyone's guess as to what characters might be lurking about. As we began to walk, she stopped underneath one of the oil lamps to adjust her shoe. She took my hand in the most utilitarian way, mostly for balance, and I chose not to let go for the rest of our journey. She turned to me as we reached the foot of the doorway. I remember wishing that we had taken a longer route and would have, if I hadn't been convinced she would notice. May I see you again? I asked. I would very much like to. She hesitated. I could see that she wanted to say yes, but something was stopping her. William, you're a kind man and I'm quite fond of you. She let go of my hand. I hate to be so blunt, but my late husband taught me more about life than I ever wanted to know. I don't understand, I admitted after a pause. If I am to marry again, I need a man of certain standing and status, a man who I won't need to take care of, a man who can instead take care of me. I can't lie that her words shocked and somewhat hurt me. It was a jolt of reality to an otherwise fanciful evening. As reality settled in upon me, part of me could not blame her. I had heard stories of her husband and I've never blamed anyone for trying not to make the same mistake twice. If I were to be honest with myself, at that moment I wasn't the most appealing of prospects. A fatherless young man from a mid-level merchant family might not be good enough for a girl of Mary's upbringing. I was faced with that moment to either take a step forward or a step back. I decided to step forward, and my life would never be the same. Give me some time, I said to her. I need to get my affairs in order, but I know I can be the man you need me to be. She looked back at me with noticeable skepticism and a small hint of faith. Give me until this day next year to show you that I'm worthy of your hand. That's a long time to wait for anything, William. I reached for her hand again. It'll be worth the wait, I promise you. She let go of my hand and walked slowly up the stairs. Mary reached for the front door, and then turned to look down upon me. Until then, Mr. Harris. She said before disappearing. She didn't say yes, which only occurred to me later and many times since. At the time I took her reaction as an accepted challenge. I awoke the next morning, a man possessed, and sent word to Marcus to meet me at the warehouse that afternoon. I was pacing the office when he arrived. Arriving sometime before... I was hoping a solution would present itself in some shape or form. As with most things in life, revelations hardly ever appear when you're looking for them. They have a way of creeping up on you in the oddest places and times. My apologies, Marcus said under his breath as he crept through the door. I must admit, I must have had a bit too much to drink last night. It took me a moment to notice how ragged he was as he sat there before me. 
I suppose I must have looked a bit frantic myself, but for other reasons. It seemed like you enjoyed yourself. He snorted. Yes, I did. I kept pacing. He paused for a moment. What's gotten into you? Marcus asked with more annoyance than concern. We weren't supposed to meet until tomorrow. We need to rethink this. I motioned to everything in sight. We need to rethink everything. I agree, Will, he said. Your grandfather's business worked for a long time, but the margins just aren't there anymore. What do we have in terms of assets? Other than the goods we have left to sell. He got up with more labor than I thought was necessary, and made his way over to the cabinet. Revealing a ledger, which was then unceremoniously thrown on the desk, he began to flip through the pages. Undoubtedly he had become very familiar with those pages over the past few weeks. It still took him some time to find what he was looking for. When he did the heavy breathing and grunting that I don't believe he was aware of, stopped suddenly. It's just odds and ends. He exclaimed. Nothing of much value. I needed to concentrate. I sat in the chair he had been sitting in and gave him a good hard look. Enlighten me, I said. Only some large items that were imported and never paid for. My eyes asked him to continue. Three carriages from Milan. Equipment from Barcelona to mine copper. He paused for a moment. I presume in a quest for accuracy. I had to admit this was not promising so far. I knew nothing about how to mine copper and my hips weren't made to be on a horse all day. Some mahogany from a city I can't pronounce, and a printing press from the Rhineland. I stopped moving in my chair as I began to think. A printing press, I muttered. He could see I was deep in thought and took his time before interrupting. Would you like to see it? I quickly nodded, and he led me downstairs to the back of the warehouse. After a few wrong turns, he pulled back a dust cover to reveal a complicated-looking monstrosity of black metal. Gears and levers seemed to have been inserted at random, creating a feeling of overwhelming complexity to any and all onlookers. However, from what I could tell, given my limited knowledge of mechanics, the machine appeared to be in working order. She's an ugly beast, isn't she? Marcus couldn't help but mention... Do you think it's in working order? He and I were both circling the press, crouching and bending to determine if any obvious issues were apparent. I'll wager it is, looks quite well built. He eventually determined. Bloody Prussians know how to build things. This is it, Marcus. I put my hand on his shoulder. This is how we're going to save my father's company. He looked a bit confused, and rightfully so. I could see that he was trying to imagine a way to question me, without shattering what he must have perceived was my delicate state of mind. I decided to interrupt him to ease his mind. Many people would love to have a printer such as this, free of loans or commitments. He didn't decide to interrupt me, so I continued. You and I could start a newspaper with virtually no upfront costs. Marcus leaned against the wall with blank eyes that pointed first at the printer, then at me, then back at the printer again. With a bit of a sigh, he said, I only see one problem, Will. We're missing a vital component, something interesting to say. I nodded, expecting such a response. How shall I put this to you? You're a clever chap, but at times you're dreadfully dull. You've never been passionate about anything in your whole life. What are we to write about? He was a bit more harsh than I expected him to be. I happen to think I have a lot of interesting things to say. We'll write about what you're passionate about. I told him without flinching. Everyone knows that you're well on your way to being an MP. This could help give you a voice as you climb your way into Westminster. He shook his head and began to scratch his face. Politics is too dangerous of a subject. There's a reason the papers don't cover it. 
It was an unspoken rule that the drama behind and within the Houses of Parliament were not discussed in public forums. However, times were changing, and I've always believed rules were meant to be broken, even unspoken ones. I'll leave your name out of it. I promise. I walked up to him. I need your expertise, not your name. Again, he looked back and forth a few times at me and the machine. It might just work. He admitted after some time. You're taking quite a risk, though. I have the benefit of having nothing to lose, I stated brashly. The world is made more interesting by people with nothing to lose. It took him a while longer than I was comfortable with to make a decision. Let's make the world more interesting, then. From that moment, everything began to move forward at a frantic but exciting pace. Within a few short months, we were able to sell off the remains of my grandfather's business, and we used the proceeds to produce our first newsletter. We wrote most of the first articles ourselves using pseudonyms, and did all we could to artificially impose different writing styles and voices. Our execution and initial quality were questionable, at best. And while we made our fair share of mistakes, it became quite clear almost immediately there was an interest in our work and money to be made. In the first six months, we had problems of nearly every kind from distribution, to piracy, to accounting. It was a learning experience in every way. I'm confident that Marcus cursed the moment he agreed to the venture. In those early days, some combination of his patience, our friendship, and his fear of capital punishment prevented him from strangling me. Despite everything, by the spring of that year, our affairs had somewhat stabilized, and we were even turning a small profit. A sense of ease settled upon us, as it became evident that our venture would survive. It would never be the kind of enterprise that would make us wealthy, and I was ready to accept that. In exchange for that lack of wealth, I received much more. For the first time in my professional life, I felt fulfilled, proud, and energized in the work I was doing. Marcus's passion for politics was wearing off on me, and at that time it seemed as though we were filling an important role in the political process. By summer, once the survival of the business had been assured, I turned my mind to more personal matters. I spent more time with my mother than I had in years. While it was no small relief that our family's financial troubles were receding, she was now a widow, and in need of companionship more than money. While many of my peers would have seen this as a frustrating obligation, I found us reconnecting in a way that couldn't have happened while my father was alive. I knew she missed him, but the burdens he had endured also weighed on her, and to an extent I hadn't realized. While I knew she would always carry a sadness with her, I'd like to think that there was some relief, and maybe even hope that she carried as well. As informed as I had become, when it came to our nation's politics, I became increasingly unaware of social developments. Mary had not contacted me nor I her. Marcus informed me that she had turned down a proposal in the early summer. When I pressed him for more details, it became clear that he didn't have any. I also suspected that his unnamed source was probably unreliable. The promise I had made to her to meet again on November 5th was something I thought about every day. In my mind... I believed that if I honoured the spirit of that agreement, she would as well. As that date crept upon me, I must admit, I was a bit anxious. It had been such an encouraging year of rebuilding in my life, but there was a fear that all of my success would feel empty without her. November 5th of that year was a cold affair, much colder than the year before. Marcus was once again holding his annual fireworks night celebration in Westminster, this time I arrived early in one of the carriages I had inherited. The other carriage had been sold to pay for the ring I hoped to give Mary. I must have looked quite uneasy to the other guests, 
and more so as the night wore on. I've never been the life of any party, but I'm sure I was even less fun to be around that night than usual. Part of me believed she would magically appear again once the fireworks began to erupt. She didn't. I barely remember the bright lights and explosions of that evening. Once the festivities began to end, a feeling of both sorrow and idiocy crept over me. As I walked out onto the street and into the cold evening, I couldn't help but kick myself for my own stupidity. She was a beautiful, intelligent woman. Of course, she had found someone else. Or perhaps she had decided that despite my recent successes, I still wasn't good enough for her. In either case, I felt like quite the fool, as my carriage arrived on the street before me. With a sigh, I stepped into the carriage and began to take off my gloves. Through the darkness of the cabin, someone grabbed my bare hand and I jumped out of fright. Mary laughed as she moved close to me. What are you doing in here? I laughed through both embarrassment and happiness. You missed the party. She came even closer and smiled. I waited a year for you. I thought it was only right to keep you in suspense. Mary kissed me and every doubt and fear in my mind seemed to instantly evaporate. It was another one of those moments that you strive to hold on to forever. Just as when we first kissed, I was reminded of how my life would never be the same. As I look at her on the outside of my prison cell, I can only wonder if this is the end of our love story, or if it ended the moment I was arrested. With the hangman's noose waiting for me in the morning, there was very little reason not to ask what needed to be asked. Mary, do you still love me after all that I've done? She put her hands on the bars, took a hard look at me and didn't say a word. She had a way of always leaving me, in suspense. Thank you for listening to Taken by the Sea. If you are enjoying the episodes, please rate us highly on your podcast platform of choice. If you have questions for the author, John Rosetta, please send them through Facebook or Instagram, and we'll do our best to include them in future shows. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to bringing you more of the story in the weeks ahead.